All right, all right. Well, welcome everybody to part one of Crazy Makers. Look at your neighbor and say, you're crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at your other neighbor, tell him, you're just as crazy. Yeah, we live in a world, man, that is pretty out of control the last time I checked. And uh, I thought, you know, we were just as a leadership team and as our staff, we started to talk about, hey, what would we want to be our first sermon series? So well, if you don't know what that is, is we teach in what we call sermon series here, which is we take a topic or an idea and then we talk about it for three or four weeks and really just try to unpack what, the God, what God has to say about uh, this thing called life. And so we believe that the Bible is incredible and has so many great things to say about really what it is to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. And so we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about the crazy people in your life and how to deal with them, how to deal with the difficult people. So if you have your Bibles, John chapter 13 is where we're going to be, John chapter 13. And if you don't have your Bibles, if you have a smartphone, we actually put our notes, my notes uh, ahead of you uh, on version. So it's the Bible app. And if you go to the Bible app and just download it and then open it up to the events section and on the events section you can actually see just search for rise church you can see all my notes you can get the answers to the test and know where i'm going if you are ocd like that and so uh it's it's pretty pretty awesome so john chapter 13 is where we'll be and uh it's going to be an awesome time today i'm just telling you you're going to have a good time john chapter 13 in verse 34 and uh this is uh jesus speaking he says a new commandment i give you now that's important you need to understand he's referencing a new covenant, a new way of living, a new commandment. Now, you have probably heard of a commandment before, typically in the fashion of the Ten Commandments, the Old Testament uh, law, and the part of part of at least anyway of the Old Testament law. And so there was Ten Commandments. And Jesus says, there's a new commandment I want to give you, that you love. Everybody say love. Come on, like you mean it. Say love. That you love one another. This was big. This is, this, is, this is important. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. So what was interesting, what Jesus was doing, again, he was referencing the Ten Commandments. What he was saying was he's saying, hey, I want to summarize what I believe the Ten Commandments were. Most theologians look at it as him going, hey, listen, the first Ten Commandments that you might have heard of, which was the first four, which are all about how to love God. The last six were how to love people and how to live with people. But you need to understand that I'm going to summarize the covenant. Now, summarize this New Testament thinking and this new commandment with this one idea called love. He said, I want you to just kind of get this idea, and here's why. This is the most important reason. And he goes on to say in verse 35, he says, by this, what is this? By this, this love, by love, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So what he's saying is he's saying at the end of the day, what you and I need to realize, even though that culture and society might hijack what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Christ, my disciple, to be a quote-unquote Christian, all, everybody in the world has an idea of what it is and how, how can you identify with God. It could be you put checked off that mark on Facebook. Maybe you have the uh, the fish bumper sticker, you know, with the, you're, you're trying to find every way to be a Christian. You wear, you know, Jesus is my homeboy or whatever shirts you can, everywhere you can. And you tell everybody you're a Christian, but he says, here's how people will know. Here's how they'll know. Here's how they say that you're on, here's our jersey, right? Here's how you know you're on my team. Love. He says, this is what I want you to understand. It's important. It's big. This is this was New Testament thinking. So I got to thinking, like if Jesus was defining that what it is to be a 
Christian was really based on this root word of love, then we need to know how to love properly. Well, then it would beg the question, Pastor, how do we love properly? I'm so glad that you asked. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 talks about this and addresses it a little bit. Now, you've probably heard this verse or parts of this verse before if you've been to a wedding. Now, this set of scriptures typically are resulted in in what they call the the love verses. You've heard what this is. It kind of describes what love was. And so Paul kind of goes on his way to address this. And what's interesting is most people take it out of context. In fact, I've heard great preachers take this out of context. They use it and we've used it in, 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 you know, in weddings and we use it in different love parts of our life. But really what Paul was talking to, so you need to understand the concept and the context of what's happening in scripture. So Corinthians is a letter to a church at a city called Corinth. So G, so Paul was writing a letter, which was Corinthians, right? It's one of the letters to Corinth. He was writing a letter to the church. He wasn't writing it just to the city. He was writing it to the church. So he was writing to the church about how you deal with difficult people, because what most theologians and historians would tell you is at the time when Corinth was a city and the church was starting, that it was not just creating, but it was splitting. People were coming in and they were bringing their own versions of what Christianity was and people were doing weird things and they were having weird moments and they were doing it all in the name of God and it was causing people to be pretty irritated. They were a bunch of crazy people walking around saying that they're Christians, not unlike today. And so what he was saying was, he goes, I have to address this thing because Jesus established that this is a really big deal, that we're going to be known by love. So let me address to you, church leaders, people who know God, here's how you deal with difficult people. It's love, but this is what love is. Because you and I might have all kinds of definitions of love, but Paul kind of highlights what it is. So this is, y'all get where I'm at? Y'all know where we're going? Okay, that's what's happening. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging, uh, clanging symbol. What he was mentioning is it was all those people who really, all the worshipy people, all the people who really like to go deep with the worship in God inside that moment. As a matter of fact, what he was referencing was, is that those people tend to actually be like play actors. They're a bunch of actors who act like they're Christians during church on Sunday, and then they go home, and then they're really, really not throughout the week. And so he goes on too. He goes, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and all faith so as to remove mountains but not have love, I have nothing. So he offends one set of people. Then he goes after the faith people. He goes after the prophetic people. He says, oh, hey, and by the way, if you have all that faith to move mountains and you're a real good prophet and you seem to talk in these weird moments and you have these real super spiritual things, but you didn't do it in love, you missed it. You're offended. All right. And you think he would stop there, but he doesn't. He goes, I'm not done offending, so let me keep going. He says, if I give all that I have away and deliver my body to be burned, but not have love, I gain nothing. He goes after the martyrs. He says, he goes after the incredible people who give away their entire life and go do things for people and give everything away. But he said, if you do all of that and you missed out on the concept of love, you missed it. So he went after those people. Those people are offended. And then he goes on to define what love is. And you've heard this part. Because, you, well, you, again, you've been to a wedding and you probably have it on your wall somewhere. So it says this. It says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist. I cannot read it like this. I have to read it like I'm, you know, almost like I'm floating on a, on a cloud. And, and insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It's not rejoice in wrongdoing. But rejoices with truth. Love bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never ends. Look at your neighbor and say, Oh, yeah, yeah, because that's how we read that scripture. And so what's interesting, again, go back to what Paul was doing. Paul was not writing a love letter. He was writing a rebuke. 
Paul was rebuking the Christians. He was saying, you, you, you think you're so good and so spiritual and you got it all figured out. And yet you do it in arrogance and pride so you can post on Facebook all the good things that you did. So that you can show everybody how Christian you are. No, I, wear, I have the Christian bumper sticker, Pastor. I'm a Christian. But you cut people off. And you send them sign language. It's really not Christian. And you do all the things that don't. It's like, it's confused. Do you understand? We, give, we make it really easy for people who aren't Christians to judge Christians. We, me, we, we, you, all of us, we. And Paul is saying, don't be like that. There's crazy people out there that need to be reached for Jesus. You have to learn to love them. So you got to know how to do that. So that's what we're going to talk about. The whole basis of this series is built and rooted in these scriptures. So we're going to unpack that for the next several weeks. And with that scripture, let's pray. God. I just ask you today, Lord, that you would do what only you can do, is come and be a part of this place and take the words that I've prepared and created and transform them for the hearts of the people. May we leave this place different than the way we walked in. May we leave this place changed, transformed, not because I'm good, but because you're good, God. Lord, it doesn't take a whole lot for me to be excited about being in the house of God. Because I remember where I came from. I remember where I am now. I remember that without you, I truly am crazy. And that we ultimately, everyone in this place, need you. We ask you to do all these things. Be a miracle worker in this place, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. I like reading the Bible. I'm a study and student of the Bible, and obviously I'm a Bible teacher, so I'm not a self-help guy. So if this is your first time here, you might not always feel good when you sit in that chair. That's not my job. My job is not to necessarily make you feel good. My, my job is to make sure that you see Jesus. And inside of you seeing Jesus, it's interesting how those who are around Jesus seem to be good. And so I'm interesting that, that I read scripture and oftentimes we can read a verse and take it out of context. And that verse is probably the most verse out of context I've, I've ever seen. I, how many of y'all like coffee in here? Raise your hand. Y'all like coffee? Come on, like be happy about it. Be like coffee. You know what I find interesting is that the millennial generation, I'm kind of on the tip end of the millennial generation, but we really made coffee cool, you know? Because coffee for a long time was simply Folgers crystals, right? Y'all remember that, that, that commercial where it was, it was in the country and, you know, the best part of waking up. Come on, y'all. Yeah, you see, you didn't even know it. You like Folgers, too. And so, um, and so for a long time, that was all coffee was. It was you drank it black, and, and nobody had any other way. But, but see, then, then the millennial generation, at least in America, we, we kind of we caught hold of this thing called fancy coffee. You know, we taked it up a notch, and we did this thing called the latte and the macchiato, right, and, and the, the flat whites and, and all these things that Starbucks has capitalized on. And now we made this thing called coffee really, really you know, really cool. And then even now you have these really pretentious coffee shops around the country where, you know, you walk in and they don't talk to you and you have to know what bean it came from and part of country it came from. And it has this weird drip thing. And you're like, I just want some level of coffee with caffeine in it. And they look at you because you don't know that it's from Guatemala and it was, you know, raised in some organic farm. And so, um, I, I want to like coffee, but I don't. And uh, you don't either. You don't know, by the way, if you don't know that, you really don't like coffee either. It took you a long time to acquire the taste of coffee. No one really likes coffee, but we like it when it's full of milk and sugar and cream and whipped cream and then more cream after that. And then, hey, put some like and then a taste of coffee. I like uh, 
coffee-flavored milk is what I like, you know, so the latte or the whatever. And so uh, I went to Nashville the other day, or not the other day, a couple years ago, and we were, we were with my wife, and Nashville is kind of like the birthplace of what I would say of like kind of this cool coffee shop trend thing. And we were at this uh, one co- coffee shop called uh, the, the Frothy Monkey, and uh, it's, I'm not kidding you, that's the name of what it was called. And so it's called the Frothy Monkey, and you just walk in, and I just, have you ever walked into a place where you felt like, man, I'm just not cool? Like, I just, I just know right now I'm not cool enough to be in here. And so I walked in, and I was trying to figure out the menu. First of all, they didn't have a menu because they're too cool for that. Like, that don't make no sense. And so anyway, they're just so cool they didn't have a menu. I'm like, hey, can I get a latte? And he kind of laughed at me, and I'm like, do you not do lattes here? And he goes, oh, no, we do. We just call it, you know, something else. It was, you know, the super monkey or something. I was like, I don't know. Okay. And so I'll take that. And so, um, you know, he goes and he makes my coffee. And then I, I, uh, I, I pulled out my wallet and I, there's a chip tip jar there. And I wanted to tip him because I wanted to be like, I felt like if I could be generous with him, then I could like, you know, make him be nice and not spit in my coffee, you know? And so I'm like, so I pulled out my wallet. I took out this cash and I put it in the tip jar. Well, when I put my cash in the tip jar, my ring fell out into the tip jar, my, my wedding ring. And then I had a crisis of conscience because at this moment I'm going, I, I, what do I do? And I know, so on one side I know, hey, like I don't want them to think that I'm reaching in and taking their tips. But at the other end, I have, a, you know, a pretty, she's very nice wife, but she could hurt me if I don't bring my ring back, you know? And so I'm kind of on this one side. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm freaking out or whatever. So he turns around and you know what I do? I just go for it, right? Because I feel like if I can go for it and I get it in and out and he won't, he won't notice. So I go and I'm not kidding y'all. What do you think happened? I put my, my hand into it. He turns around and I just look up and I was caught and he goes, bros. I'm not kidding. you. He goes, bros. I'm like, bros, what is that a word? Like, what is a bros? You know? And he goes, bros, what are you doing? You stealing from us, bro? And I'm like, no, no, bros. And I started speaking his language, you know, because I got freaked out. And I'm like, no, 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 I was just kidding. Like, I, I'm just, I was trying to give you money, but my ring fell. And he goes, you're lying, bro. You're lying. You're trying to steal money from us. And I'm like, no, no. It was a big old thing. I just ran out of there because you got to leave. You just, you. So I'm like, you know, banned from all frothy monkeys in Nashville, Tennessee. It just is what it is. And, um, and why did I tell you that funny story? Oh, yeah. Okay. So here, here's what. Because so many things in life, when you read the Bible, this, this ancient book of texts and letters and just incredible insight from God, you can see something and actually it not be what you think it, see, it is. Just like that guy saw me do it. He wasn't what it thought he thought it was. Come on, I wasn't trying to steal from, from them. But, but what he saw was how he interpreted it and it therefore determined how he treated me. Come on. What he saw, what he thought happened, what he thought was said, what he thought was done, determined how he ultimately treated other people in that context. In the scriptures, if you're not careful, if you just do one of those like, "Mm, there, and then you start reading, and you take it out of context, you become one of those weird Christians. I know them. They're half my family. You know some of them. They become crazy Christians who take things out of context, and all of a sudden what was good and what was righteous and what made sense doesn't make sense any longer. And so what I wanted to do today was really talk about this idea of of love. Because if Jesus highlighted that it was our way of, like it, it was our separation, a definition of who we are to those who don't know him, we got to be clear about what love is. We got to be clear about because that, that word love is thrown around a lot right now. 
That's not a lot. And so if we don't have a biblical definition of what it is, we won't know how to truly love the difficult people or the crazy makers in our life. And so that's what we're going to do today. I'm going to talk about one, one concept per week, and I'm going to talk about one today, one concept per week of how to truly love the difficult people in your life. Because I don't know if you know this, there are some crazy folk in the world. And you know them. You don't even have to, like, I, like, I wouldn't say don't think of who, hey, just think about right now who's difficult. You don't even need to think about it. You know. They're probably sitting next to you. And so we'll talk about them right now. Isn't that cool? All right. So today, how to love difficult people, how to love the difficult, crazy people in your life. Number one is this, and this is what we're going to talk about today. For you to love people properly, you have to first look in, then out. I'm going to say that again. For you to love difficult people, for you to love the crazy makers in your life, the people that make you crazy, the people that don't get you, the people that don't seem to understand that there's, you know, space issues, you know, the close talkers or the people who talk too much in the movie theaters or the people who ride your bumper all the freeway to your house, right? For you to truly know how to love them, we have to actually look at ourselves first and see ourselves first and leak and see what God put inside of us, who we are first and accurately so that we can accurately actually treat the people around us accurately. It starts with us. So this might be the most difficult sermon in the series. Maybe I should have put this at the end. But the truth is, is that we so often look at all the crazy people at the same time missing out on our own Come on, our own craziness, our own problems, our own issues. And if you do that, you tend to start using the Bible in weird ways. If you see yourself inaccurately, like the person that you are, if you don't see yourself as an accurate version of who God created you to be, you can fall into two traps. One is pride. So one, you can think too highly of yourself. The other is shame. You can think too low of yourself. Both are ditches that you want to avoid. Both are places and things that we want to stay away from. And yet, we seem to fall in them all the time. The first ditch is pride. Those who think too highly of themselves. Those who say, I have it all figured out. Those who say, this is not you. This is other people in other churches. But like, this is those who say, like, I have it figured out, man, I know the Bible better than you, and I know how to be a, uh, a person, a better Christian than you, and I know how to be a better neighbor than you, and I am so good. Look at how good that I am, and look at how awesome I do things, and look how great I am, because the more prideful you are, how easy it is to look at everybody else and look, man, you got issues. It's so easy. Isn't it interesting how easy it is to see everybody else's issues when you don't see your own? Isn't that interesting? There's a funny story. I'll read this to you. This is just, it's silly. Okay, I'm going to tell you on the front end, it's silly. But it's a great depiction of how we are sometimes. It says, as a Scottish mother visits her son in New York City uh, in his apartment and asks, uh, how do you find the Americans, Donald? So, she, you know, her son comes to America, moves to New York, and he gets an apartment, and it's her question. How, how do you find the Americans? And he says, Mom, you know, they're just, they're terrible. They're just terrible. They're mean, and they're, they're rude, and... They're inconsiderate. They don't, you know, they don't ever talk to me. They scream at me all the time. They're noisy. They pound on my walls. They pound on, the, on my ceiling. They scream all the time. They give me dirty looks in the hallway. And it's just terrible. It's everything and worse. 
And she goes, well, Donald, son, I'm so sorry. I'm just, you know, because moms, y'all are like that. It doesn't matter what your son says or does. They can do no wrong sometimes. And so she looks at him, and she hugs him, and she says, Donald, I'm so, what do you, man, what do you, I'm, I'm going to pray for you, but what are you going to do about that? What are you going to do? How are you going to deal with all of these crazy people? He said, you know, Mom, I'm just going to do what I've done every day since I got here from morning till night. I'm just going to sit up and play my bagpipes all day long as loud as I possibly can. Now, I told you it was silly. But don't miss it. That's really how we are. That's really, that's really how we are. It's like everybody's reacting to, you know, they're all doing something to me. There's all these issues in me, and all these people are just crazy, and they don't see the world like I do, and they're not giving to things like I do, and they're not trying things like I do, and they're not sacrificing things like I do. And if you would just see me, and you just see all the good things, if you would just take my life, and I'm telling you what, I'm right. I'm right, because I'm right. I want to be right, because, I'm yeah, I'm right. And you can right yourself so much to where everyone else is wrong. Everyone else seems to be wrong when it's, and you know, my, when my executive pastor here, his name is Pastor Jason, and uh, he, he, he runs all of our family ministries and really a lot of our executive team, and he goes, he goes, uh, he has a statement, and it's so good, it's so good, and he said, he said, Pastor Aaron, because I, I always just tease him like all the time, you know, I'm like, man, is, you know, bring issues or stuff, and he goes, listen, Pastor Aaron, he goes, if it's everyone else, it's not everyone else, and that's a good statement for us to have, is that if it's everyone else, if it seems like everyone else is missing it, if it seems like everyone else is wrong, if it seems like everyone else doesn't know the Bible like I do, that sounds pretty familiar because there were people like that in the Bible called the Pharisees. They knew everything and were the best at everything. They were the professional Christians walking around making sure you were a pro you're not good enough. You're not trying hard enough. Here's where you missed it. Here's where you go. We do that sometimes in church. You don't know this. That's how we elbow people, right? Like the pastor's talking to you. Come on, listen, right? Because how could the sermon be for you? Because you got it all figured out. Why would God talk to you when you got it all? It's, why are you even in here? You should be teaching us, right? Matthew 7, verse 3 says this, it says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Amazing scripture where he says, first look at yourself. First start with you. Instead of using the Bible as a ruler, how you judge everybody, go, mm, you didn't make it. Sorry. Try again. All right, how about you? Mm, I mean, it was close. I mean, I got to give you some bonus points for trying. But fail. All right, now next one. Okay, I'm on. Oh, you did it. Okay, yeah, that, that'll work. That and we walk around, right? Don't we do that? Don't we walk around a little bit like, oh man, you're not Christian enough. Hey, you know Jesus gave to the poor. You need to really be around the poor. Make sure you be around the poor all the time with the poor, the poor, the poor. And it's like, yeah, I get it. We give to the poor. We do the poor. But you walk around, and they are not. They're not doing the poorness enough for you. They don't go to Christian. They're not churchy enough for you. They don't go do the things for you. Why? Because you're, and when you're stuck in the ditch of pride, everyone else is wrong. The Bible was never meant to be a ruler. It was always meant to be a mirror. It was always meant to work on you first. Like me first. Go for, I go first. That if, if it's going to be, it's up to me. That I need to work on myself. And you know what that great adage that's always said? I don't know if you heard this before. It's not, I didn't make this up. And, you know, it, I don't think it's in the Bible anywhere, at least where I've seen it. But if, you know, if you want to change the world, you got to start with who? You. Yeah. 
Start with yourself. That first, before you go trying to make sure everyone else is fixed, make sure you're fixed, right? Your life is messed up. And if you would, if everybody did that, if everybody walked around and said, hey, how can I get better? Not to be, to earn God's love. How can I get better? Because I already got it. Hey, I want to reflect God. I want to reflect the Christianity that I see in the scriptures, which is sacrificial, godly, generous living, open-handed living, where I can walk around and bless other people. How can I do that? Because if I can do that, then it would seem, let me just ask you, if everybody did that in your life, would you feel like there were crazy people? No, right? And so our job in life is to not look at people as, and use the Bible as a ruler, but a mirror. Hypocrisy is birthed in that, by the way, is when you go, hey, you didn't make it, but you don't do it yourself. It's easy for us to be called hypocrites as Christians if we don't live out what God's asking us to do. The other ditch is the shame ditch. So you might not be in pride in here. Maybe you don't think you're good at all. Maybe you think you're the opposite. Maybe you think that, I, man, I don't even know. I don't really struggle with that. And so maybe if pride says I'm better than everyone else, you're saying everyone else is better than you. And both are ditches. Both are wrong. Both are, are lies. And so you might be stuck in this ditch called shame that came from maybe a past hurt in your life. Maybe somebody hurt you. Maybe there was a moment that you got hurt. Maybe there was an organization. Maybe there was a church that offended you. Maybe there was a pastor that promised you something didn't deliver. Maybe there was a dad that said something to you that didn't deliver. Maybe there was a mom who wasn't there for you at that time. Maybe there was a friend, a cousin, an uncle, whatever. Or there was a boss. There was something that happened to you in your past. And for whatever reason, it caused you to adjust your perspective on who you are in an inaccurate way. And now you walk around with shame. And just so you know, pride and shame, they're two pretty terrible things and ways to live. Because shame comes with this own set of baggage. Because you don't treat people right when you feel like you're ashamed either. You know, I know people who live in shame so much, they don't even know how to, they're like, I can't serve, I can't be a part, I can't come to church, I, I'm nothing. And you don't go and help someone who can be helped through your own pain because you feel so ashamed of what God has done or of what has happened in your life through the just living. Maybe you have a misunderstanding of scripture. Maybe you pulled it out of context. Something happened where you read something and it said, you know, it was talking about something else. It was talking about something, and you just feel like, oh, I'm going to identify with that scripture. Like, I'm nothing all the time, every day, ever, all the time. It's like, hold on. Context. Context. And if you live in this idea of shame, if you're not careful, eventually people can label you and mislabel you and call you to be who really you are not. There's an interesting scripture. Um that I think highlights an interesting thing about Christianity. Matthew chapter 3, uh, Jesus is not on, he hasn't started his ministry yet. You know who the guy was doing things? was John the Baptist. And the reason they call him John the Baptist is because he baptized people. Isn't that interesting? Huh, it's easy. Okay, so anyway, it's not hard test to be a Christian. So anyway, so John, John the Baptist, he's, he's, he's the preeminent, prelate preacher of the day. He's filling up all the Colosseums. He is uh, preaching at all. Uh, he's got all the book signs. He's writing all the books. He's uh, got all the YouTube followers. He's got all the Twitter followers. He's, he's doing all the cool Instagram uh, shots with the filters and has all the likes. He is the guy of the day. He is the dude running around doing the work of God and Jesus walks up on him and before Jesus does, Jesus is on his way and Paul and John the Baptist is doing ministry. He's walking around doing ministry and here's what's interesting. Paul, John, John actually says this. He says, hey, there's someone that's going to come after me that is pretty amazing, actually the most amazing. I can't even hold his sandals. Now that's pretty amazing, right? 
He says, I can't even hold his sandals. And Jesus walks up to him. And here's what's interesting about Jesus. You need to know this because if you're not a Christian in here or you're a new Christian or maybe you're trying to figure out this thing, Christianity, here's what it's like in a life with Jesus. You and I, at the end of the day, are not worthy enough to hold Jesus' sandals. But Jesus walks up to us, and then he does something to John the Baptist that's incredible. John goes, hey, did you know I just told all these people about you? And John, and he's like, he's like I just told them I can't even look at you. I can't even hold your sandals. And, John, and then Jesus goes, oh, yeah? Okay, well, here's what I think of you. I need you to baptize me. And John goes, no, 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 not me. Now, you're not understanding. You don't know what I did yesterday. You don't know what I looked at yesterday. You don't know all the sins that I made yesterday. You don't know what I did just like I just tried to baptize that person. They walked off, and I thought a crazy thought about them. You don't know what I did, Jesus. You don't know. And Jesus says, yeah, I actually, you know what? I, I'm God. I know. So I know. Um, and by the way, that's not who you are. I call you up. So if you're a new believer or a new Christian in here, you need to know this, that anytime you get into the presence of God, he calls you up. If you feel shame, that ain't of the God, of the God that we serve. That ain't of Jesus. That's always a lie in the enemy. And he's always uses that little tactic of like, are you sure Jesus called you to baptize him? You know what you did. You know. I saw you. You saw you. And if you're not careful, you could walk around with this shame thing where you walk around and go like, man, I can't do anything for God. I can't be anywhere around God. And anytime you get around Jesus, he shows you right there that no matter what you do, no matter who you are, no matter where you've come from, you can walk up. And when you get around Jesus, he lifts you up. That's the God that we serve. That's good. That's the God that we serve. So we must know our identity. I'm going to, I'm almost done. Who are we? So, so if, we don't live in pride and we don't live in shame. How, who are we? You need to know who you are. Because if you know who you are, you know, and you see things accurately, you know how to treat other people. Here's who you are. Genesis chapter 3. Sorry, Galatians chapter 3. He says this in verse 26. For you are all, everybody say it with me, say children of God. Come on, say that again. Say children of God. For all, you all, you all, all, you all, you, you all, all, everybody, all, all. Some? 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 No, no. All means, hey, you know what in the Greek that means? All. Just clarify. All. Children of God. Through, through what? Through, through your good deeds? Through, through what you can do? No, 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 no. Through, through, through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have been put uh, on Christ. They put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, pride or shame, background or no background, Christian or no Christian, whether you came from a Christian family, a whole family, where you came from divorce or a full family, where you came from separation, maybe you have a mixed family. It does not matter where you come from. Alone, you, don't, you can't hold the, the sandals of Jesus. But with Jesus... Come on. With Jesus, we are all one in him. And now that you belong to Christ, so now that you're with him, now that you're one of us, you are true. Here it is again. Oh, it's a, that's a word. That's a word. Children of Abraham, you are his heirs, and God's promise in Abraham belongs to you. You need to know this, who you are. Let me answer your question, and I'm done. Let me answer your question. Who are you? Who are you? You are children of God. It speaks of this thing that we like to call here at Rise called spiritual family. You are in a family. You and I are children of God. You're not slaves. You're not servants. You're sons and your daughters. And that God has called us. When you're with us, you're with him. He's called you up. 
You don't have to live in pride. You don't have to live in shame. You don't have it all figured out, but you got some things figured out. And in that sweet spot in the middle, you live a whole life dependent on this amazing God called Jesus who calls us up. The first way that we see to love the crazy makers in our life is to see ourselves as children of God in need of a Savior. See ourselves as children of God in need of a Savior. I'm going to close with this thought. You know, so much of life is, um, is how you see it, you know. And I'm just I'm begging you on behalf of God. See yourself accurately. That you're not as good as you think you are. you're also not as bad as you think you are. But you are who God says that you are. You want to know why? This is a law in nature. Those who create it get to name it. Come on. Those who create it get to name it. Inventors don't give it their, the name of their thing to someone else. Hey, when you're, if you're a parent in here, you created a child. Did you have the doctor name it? Why? Because those who create it get to name it. And God created you. And so guess what? Here's the cool part. You don't even get to name you. Because you didn't make you. God made you. And he loves you more than you love you. He wants you to do better things than you think you even. You, you feel like you have dreams? Submit your dreams to God. Ask him the dreams he has for you. Because he created you. And he can name you. He's the only one who has the right to name who you are. We don't live in pride because that ain't of God. And we don't live in shame because that ain't of God. We live as children of God. That's who he calls us to be. So we therefore respond accurately. When we respond in children of God, when we reflect God, you'd be surprised how good and how easy it is to handle some of the crazy people in our life. 